Calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit Shure.com slash Motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's S-H-U-R-E dot com forward slash M-O-T-I-V. Welcome to Define You Radio. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Are you ready to unapologetically build your confidence, achieve goals, and design a life worth living? Learn the life lessons and strategies to define your life, money, and business. Pins and papers ready. Class is now in session. Yes, yes, and yes. Welcome to Define You Radio, classes in session, where we teach women how to build confidence, achieve goals, and design a life worth living by discussing life lessons and strategies from guests who have defined their life, money, and business. I'm your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. If this is your first time tuning in to Define You Radio, thank you so much. You're in for a treat. Make sure you connect with the show on Facebook for updates and more. So, guys, you know this month I've been focusing on Transition, Ashes Emanating Beauty and the co-authors and their backstory. And it's just been a really exciting time. They're coming off of a fabulous book signing. And so today I have uh, another one of the co-authors, which I'm excited about. So today's session is from Survival Game to Best-Selling Author. She is a businesswoman, a mentor, and more. Miss Sha- Watch, I knew I was going to get crazy with it. Miss Thomas. <laughs> Shawana. Shawana. I don't know. I Just my coffee. Yet. My coffee hadn't kicked in yet, guys. You know, I got to have my evening cappuccino before the show. So with that being said, that was like a mouthful and a half. Shawana. <laughs> Welcome to Define You Radio. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's okay. I've had my name twisted up many times, trust me, especially from my um, Middle Eastern doctors. They call me Shawania and all sorts of names. Okay. Well, well, I, I try to get people's names correct because I am very sensitive about my name. Because to me, okay. it's like, it's simple. It's it's Valencia. But I've been called Valencia. And I'm like, how do you get Valencia from Valencia? So, right. um, and this is like a lifetime of correction. Valerie. <laughs> I'm like, what? There's no R in my name. Like, people add letters and take letters out, you know. And um, right. I'm very, you know, I'm very protective. Especially when I learned what my name meant, then I insist people get it correct. Well, And, of, of course, Valencia, for you guys that don't know, means strong and brave and all of those things that I am. So, yeah, you 
we gonna work it out, even if I have to break it down syllable by syllable. So <laughs> Okay. I understand so that IA gets you twisted up a little bit. You know, like people wanna they wanna add add stuff and subtract and all other kind of foolishness, but I'm I'm really excited about <laughs> having you on tonight you know because we we had a conversation the other day and I was like oh I like her I've been Mm -hmm. said that but I really said it after we talked the other day I really love your personality and I know that the audience is in for a treat especially because you look so innocent Thank you far from that, but I do. My heart is innocent. It truly is. Yes, ma'am. So why don't you go ahead and fill in the blanks of what I left out of your your bio and, you know, tell the audience just a a little bit about you before we kind of get into the the nitty gritty of the show. Okay. Well, I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, teacher, and a mother of two beautiful children. Um, I am, like Valencia says, I am a new best-selling co-author, <laughs> and that's been exciting for me. Um, but I'm I'm passionate about healing, mentoring teenage girls, um, giving, and growth. That that's my base. Mm. That's my basis. Mm. And congratulations on the best-selling author, co-authorship, you know. Thank you. So, yay. (laughs) And in case you guys didn't know, uh, I am one of the fabulous co-authors of not only the first transition, but this one also, which was a very exciting, interesting process because it was different people. So I got a chance to interact and meet new personalities. And, you know, I'm all about giving and growth and learning and connecting. <laughs> yes. So um, survivorship is your story. A flower plucked out of the garden, placed in a beautiful vase. Your core principles are live and let live. Let your best self shine and keep your head up. I just had to throw that out there. So your story, your story. Tell us a little bit about your, your story in transition. My story um, was one of a, a young girl. A 15-year-old teenager um, Basically Making my own way Around the age of 15 I um, Became a product Of my environment And began to sell drugs For the sport of it Basically I wanted Hmm. to To uh, Keep up Not keep up with the Joneses, Joneses So much But I wanted to have current Clothes, cause you know my mom, she was on assistance, and um, so I got hand-me-downs and, and you know second store stuff, and it was nice. But you know around that age, 
you're you you're trying to identify who you are. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had acne, you know, I'm going through puberty, going through all these different hormonal changes, and the last thing I wanted was to have um, some pro-kids, you know what I mean? So right, I right. began to um, sell drugs with, with, with the older, I was always around older um, older boys. I didn't have a lot of uh, friend girls. But the um, older guys, I would be around them in their circles looking and listening. And and I got caught up um, selling drugs, and that took me down um, a whole nother kind of like dark path as far as uh, a young girl acting like a tomboy, for one, and um, just being misguided. But Hmm. I came to a point because not only – was I misguided? I had book sets. So the book set was there, but the common sense was it. Um, and and there was a chain of events that happened. Um, I eventually I graduated from high school, which I could have graduated with high honors, but I ended up um being a credit short, I walked, but I didn't receive my diploma until a month later after graduation. And um, once I got that diploma, my mom packed up all my things, put me on the back of a pickup truck um, that next, that followed morning after I graduated and got my, got my diploma and brought me all the way to Atlanta. And her thought was if I was to stay, in Flint, where I was, she said I wasn't going to be anything. I wasn't, I wasn't going to mount to anything. So I didn't have a choice. So she packed me up. She talked, had talked to my sister and her husband before she made that decision. And next thing you know, when I woke up off the back of that pickup truck, drunk and all, hmm. I was in unfamiliar territory. Wow. And you were 18 around that time, I guess, 18 or 19? I was 18. 18. Now, I kind of want to go back a little bit and talk about you selling drugs for sport. Um, and I and I understand, and I'm sure a lot of men and women can relate to not having what other kids have. And, of course, around that age, you want to to fit in. It's funny, you know, when we're younger, we want to fit in. And when we get older, we want to stand out. And why did that seem like the logical decision versus getting a job? Well, at the age of 15, believe it or not, I had a job, but it wasn't enough. Hmm. I worked for a summer program, Whack and Weed. So I would catch the bus, wake up early in the morning, catch the bus, and they would take us to a little empty lot that where the grass had overgrown weeds, and we would whack weeds. I would work all day. And, um, and then I had another little job bagging groceries at Myers, but that money, I, I, I want to say back then it was like three seventy five an hour, four seventy five. I think three seventy five an hour. It yeah, wasn't they, they got it made these days. They got it made these <laughs> days. <laughs> they got it yeah, made. They do. They really do. But it was the glitz too, you know. You ride right. around the the pool 
the um, the action, the uh, in crowd, you know, being able to ride around with somebody who you felt, who I felt had authority, you know, had the rims and and the loud noise on the car, and didn't nobody really know mm-hmm. me, you know, that type of thing. I was swayed. I was persuaded by all of that because there by was the nothing life. else. Right. To take the place. There was nothing else there in the gap. No uncles, nobody to come pick you up or come on, let me show you, let's go to the library. Let's do this. None of that. So it was almost like, you know, it happened to me because that's what was around me. Hmm. Did your mom know? No, she didn't know, actually, because I I was able to live this, like, it was almost like a, a double life. As long as hmm. I did my homework and I brought home good grades, she didn't question anything else. And she was um, kind of structured, believe it or not, strict, because when I did my, when I was out in the street doing all that foolishness, I would sneak out. So she would be asleep. I would sneak out. I was clever enough to spray the hinges on the door <laughs> with WD-40, you know, I know the creaks in the floor so I can step over that, and I would leave out, you know, hop in the car with my friends, and we would ride around, and then I will stay out a couple hours and ease back in there. But after a couple of years of me doing that, um, my conscience just led me to tell her, show her, um, and she didn't question me. I came in the house one day, and I had probably like three or four rocks um, left for that day. And I said, come here, Mom. I said, let me show you something. And uh, she said, what? And I said, look at this. I said, you know what this is? She said, no, what's that? So she wasn't even familiar with what it was. I said, Mom, this is crack. She hmm. said, that's what that stuff is? So wow. and she didn't question me because she knew of people that was on it, but they were like <laughs> doing really bad homeless. You could tell they were on drugs. So she looked at me as if to say, well, I know you're not doing this. And she didn't question well, where I got it from. For whatever reason, I don't recall her asking me, well, what you doing with it or anything. It was like she treated me as an, a responsible adult. And we had a lot of freedoms. I think impression I mentioned before, you know, um, I, we we come from a, a tight community and, and we had a lot of freedoms in a sense. And and that was one she didn't as long as I was getting good grades, nobody was calling the house, you know, you, you must be doing okay. Hmm. So she didn't say you shouldn't be doing this, you know, why are you doing this? It was just like, Oh, okay, and just long as you go to school you could sell drugs. Well, I didn't actually come right out and say, well, mom, I'm selling drugs. I just but showed her. But if you showed her, her crack, right, I right. would have questions. Right. right, but she was so, you know, to the left of, she didn't even recognize what a drug is. She didn't drink, smoke, or anything. So it was like, okay, well, maybe you found it. You know, she didn't even know enough to even second guess or question it mm. to the degree she should have. So I was like, hmm, okay, that one uh kind of awkward. <laughs> but, I mean, and that's what it was. She said, I heard about that stuff. Hmm. 
Interesting. Now, being a a quote unquote female in a male's game, hmm. did you ever feel like did that ever? Were you scared? No, I was never scared. I didn't have sense enough to be scared, believe it or not. Mm. I was not scared. But there was maybe three occasions where I was afraid for my life. Um, I had met a guy um, from Detroit, um, and he had just came to our small town, basically tried to just take over. You know, they just popped mm-hmm. up and this is my house, this is my house and I'm just walking down the street. So he just picked me up one day and and um we went to talk and started dating and I told him what I was doing and come find out, wow, okay, you're doing the same thing. So he fronted me something. He gave me something up front. And he would leave it with me and that following weekend he would come and pick up the money. So he popped up early, like on a Thursday, and he was like, um, give me what you got. And I was like, I don't have anything. I said, but my dad gave me $100 today. He was like, oh, yeah? I was like, yeah. He was like, come on, ride with me. So he brought me to this nice apartment somewhere in the suburbs, and we got in the apartment, and he pulled out this Uzi, and he was like, B, you stealing from me? I mean, just out of nowhere, he just flipped the script and pulled the gun on me, and Accused me of from stealing. He accused me of stealing from him because I had this hundred dollars, and I was like, I didn't steal from you, and I will give you your money that Friday. So of course my blood pressure blood pressure shot up. You know, I got anxiety, scared, but at the same time, you know, I went to raise up on him, and he said, if you raise up and swing, I'm gonna shoot you. Okay, and then I sat back down. So that was a. Uh, and he was known to shoot you. I mean, he had came through and beat up a couple of guys and left them in the street. And, I mean, he just came through like a wrecking ball. So he had a name of being violent. So I kind of uh, piped down and kind of eased myself out of that situation. And once I collected all his money, I borrowed the money to give to him so he can go away. But I gave him this money and kind of like got got away from him because he was really, really dangerous. But as far as me being afraid to just, no, I wasn't. Hmm. Okay, I have a a question via inbox, kind of going back to to your your mom. Is your mom living or or past? Yeah, she's living. Right now, she's living. Okay, so... Did she ever, like, you know, come to that awareness that you were selling drugs? Never. Well, I guess, I mean, now, because you wrote about it, but I'm just saying, before that, um, (laughs) did she, you know, like, did she, did you ever say, hey, you remember when I showed you that stuff? Yeah, I was selling that. You know, did she ever come to that awareness that you were selling drugs? Never. She never did. So do you expect questions now it, when she reads your story? 
No, not really, because my mom, she has six kids, right? So we all have all these different personalities. And, and she said, you know, you you know, when you have a child, you really don't know what they're going to do. All you know is you have a child. You know, you raise them up the best you can. But what they do, I think she said, I, can't, I really just can't say what you will and will not do. Now, you being my child, I can say certain things about you, but to say what you will and will not do, no, she may be surprised if somebody tell her a little bit, but it will mm. be a shock. No. Okay. Interesting, very interesting. I guess it, it's very interesting to me because I know, um, like, my mom was a drug user. Right. And I was very much, uh, I dated people that sold drugs when I was younger because it was, it was about that extra money that having the things I didn't have, but you know, of course I looked at it from a, a different way. And then of course I just, you know, couldn't deal with people like that because I didn't know if, you know, you possibly were selling my mom drugs. So, and it, it's funny how at, at that, the, the, when you're a teenager, you're very aware of this life that you should not be aware of. I probably right. knew, knew, you know, you, I probably knew more about drugs and you probably knew more about drugs at 15 than a pharmacy tech, I guess, you know, like, I don't know what other, right, right. It was, it's, it's something that you, lessons you learn, you never will forget. And I remember, and that's why I asked questions about your mom, because I remember the first time I found drugs, my mom's drugs. And I was roughly about fourth or fifth grade and I knew what it was. And that was confirmation for me, you know, that, yeah, there's no denying it. She, she's on some stuff. Like I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew it was drugs. So I just, it's it's all very, very interesting. And I wanted to, how, how long were you in, in that life? Three years from 15 to 18, 15, 16, 17, 18, four years. Was it more of a pull to stay in or a push to get out? It was, um, well, it ended abruptly. Um, I believe if my mom wouldn't have brought me to Atlanta, it may have still Mm -hmm. been going on. And the reason why I say that was because I gotten comfortable or I had mm-hmm. so-called graduated to the point where I had my own clientele. I had my own houses right. and own apartment complexes where I could go. And one time the police even escorted me home, you know, like we just making sure you're getting in, you know, right. probably because I didn't look like what I was doing. Right, right, right. So I, had I always said I, I would be a, um, I would have been a good criminal. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I said that. That's something, you know. I I think this may have been the first time I've ever said this on a radio show, but other people people have heard me 
say that because I don't look like a criminal or right. or what people would think a, a criminal look like. Like when I talk about when I talk about me being jumped in the gang and people see mm-hmm. me all, you know, ladylike and stuff and um mm-hmm. but I, you never know what's what's up underneath that professional <laughs> that professional mm-hmm. You know, and and like you said, you were you were book smart, and when you're, I said people that's like book smart and stuff, like you could either use those powers for good or right. evil. So that's why that's why I made the good criminal uh, comment. I am not encouraging anybody to go out there and break laws <laughs> or use your your geniusness to be a criminal. I'm just we're gonna move on to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about that mindset, though. You know? you know, but you, but you learn. There are some lessons. There are some yeah. lessons that you learn in the streets. You cannot learn any other way. And I right. am, I do believe that because right. there, there's certain lessons that I know that you learn. And like I said, I've, I've known. Let me not try to act like brand new. I've known people that have sold drugs and I've dated people who have sold drugs many years ago. I am 40. So this was many years ago. Don't nobody inbox me with I should be ashamed or any of that. But um, and so I know that they are how they're the mindset and the mind is very the ones that I know. I'm not saying for everybody, but it's very precise and it's very business and it's very this is what it is right and there's certain lessons that they learned and a lot of those people Mm -hmm. now have legal businesses Mm -hmm. it's certain lessons that you learn in the street right that makes you uh, a some of those lessons I've mm -hmm. learned in the street um, it benefits me where I'm employed at now which I'll won't mention right away. But, right. Um, it helps me because I'm more keener and I pay attention to detail. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, like that, that saying, you mean what you say, say what you mean. Right. I mean, oh, that becomes like real life. I mean, actual word for word mean what you say. Right. <laughs> say what you mean. <laughs> or that uh, if I said it once, I could say it twice. Right. <laughs> Look, that's a whole yes, other ma'am. show or conversation. <laughs> <laughs> now, right. I know a, a a lot of when you decided to write about this part of your life, was there some hesitation like, oh, Lord, people are going to look at me differently. People are going to judge me. Or was there some hesitation on using this part of your story? Of your of your life, you know. Um, no, it was no hesitation at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I felt a push to put that out there, you know, for some parents to know, you know, to be aware because, like, my generation coming up, and if I did that, the right. younger generation is time ten, you know, 
and they're going to have to see about us at some point. So right. you need to be aware that, you know, don't be so, uh, you know, boxing, well, it couldn't happen to mine or it won't happen right. to mine. You know, I've never seen that before. Not my, you know, not mine. Yeah, I wanted to put that right. out there, but, you know. I mean, that's that's a part of me. That's a part um, of my, my story. It's part of my experience, and I love me. I love who I have become to be. I take the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, you know, and I thank God for who I am today, and that and that was a part of it. It took that right. for me to be um, who I am today. So, right. no, I, right. I, you know, I, embrace, I embrace all of it. All of it. And and I love that. And I think, number one, I admire and respect your transparency uh, with that, because a lot of times when whether you're telling your story, you're writing your story, um, talking about something that's not the norm or, you know, like Precious has said about the book as a whole, that elephant in the room, when you're when you're having those discussions about your life these are these are your transparent moments these are the the gumbo as i say that makes you you and right. even times that i've talked about growing up with my mom on drugs and i tell people that story or or those things not so you could pity me but so you can understand that is all a part of the gumbo that is valencia and I don't right. know who Valencia would be had I not grew up that way. Thank you. You know, and I don't right. uh, apologize for it. I don't, you know, of course, some things I would change in my life, but I know that very mixture that makes me who I am. My mom's drug use was part of that. And right. I'm not ashamed for it, but I tell people that because a lot of times society puts a certain image on what they think you should look like because of your story you know they they probably have a certain image of what Shawana should look like because of what she did and so you're putting that there's another there's a other side you know there's a whole other other side like just because someone does something that society doesn't accept that doesn't mean that person can't grow from that and become you know, a contributor or whatever word you want to use to society. I mean, I'm obviously still not in a gang, but <laughs> I had to go. I had to go through that. You know, that was that's part of my story. You know, right. so mm-hmm. very interesting. Very interesting. It's I love that you you wrote about that. And have you talked to people that have read your? Your story, in particular. Yeah, I talked to a couple of people that read it. And what's the and, the responses? Um, oh, really? You? I know. <laughs> oh, oh, I know that you come from a small town. Oh, I would have never guessed. I was like, yeah, yeah, and then it was like, oh, I know. I okay, so that's what that little thuggish. You know, <laughs> right? No, <laughs> you know, but I'm kind of, um, I am uh, tactful, and but I'm also I can be direct, right? And um, and they see a survival 
a person that had survived some things, but they just mm-hmm. didn't know what type of thing. So that was just right. one of them, yeah. Okay. And <clears throat> so you, your mom picked you up, scooped you up, put you in a truck, and <laughs> dropped you off in Georgia. Yes. How did you adjust? Oh, okay. The adjustment was a culture shock. I think I was numb after the drunk wore off. <laughs> right. I was numb. You know, I, I, I mean, it was like I had reverted back to being 10, 11 years old. My sister having direct everything I did. I went from this independent, young, I got it together, I think, um, to now I have to depend on my sister to take me everywhere, show me everything, get me a job, um, just depend totally on her direction. And it was like all of a sudden. And then the 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 surroundings were like, the houses are like, um, to describe it, like New York, okay, everything's like close together, so a house would be mm-hmm. like, four houses down, you know, that's the nearest house, you know, and that's the way the houses were spread out, not driveway apart, and then our nearest store, you couldn't, well, yeah, there was a gas station at the corner you could walk to it, but the grocery store was maybe like four or five miles away, mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't built up a lot, and I was like, where am I? I mean, you hear the crickets, you hear all the bugs, you know, and the trees, it wasn't a lot of cars. Everybody sound funny. No sidewalks. Right. I was like, okay. Um, so my sister, she um, first thing she did was um, she wanted some money coming in from me. So she took me to her job. Me and my sister, by the way, we're good. Me and my sister, we have a a, a woman to woman relationship now, you know, versus a big sister little sister type of thing going on. You know that competition. You know we kind of we're woman to woman, we have a good relationship now, so I could talk about her. And um so she she got me a job with her working at Taco Bell. That was my first job and everybody sounds funny. And everybody asked me, Where are you from? Because they could tell right off how I spoke. I wasn't mm-hmm. from there. And and I'm like, okay. But after a while I was like, this is, the boredom is killing me. I needed some type of action. So I called back home and spoke to an ex-boyfriend of mine, and and, uh, he told me that his aunt lived in Atlanta and to get in touch with her, and she'll be glad to see me. So that's what I did. And uh, when I did that, um, a whole other chain of events happened. So I, I got here in May 91. Mm-hmm. And August, I spent the night at the aunt's house over the weekend. And when I came back, um, it wasn't welcome. I wasn't welcome. Back I at like your something sister's else house? Was, yeah, at my sister's house. I felt like something else was stirring in the background with her husband. I just couldn't put my finger on it. But when I came back, she wasn't there, so his first thing was, as soon as I hit the door, you disrespected my house. It would be best if you got your own place, and I'll pay for it. So he said, I'll pay for it. I was like, like a scratch record. That didn't make sense. Right. And I was like, 
you know, but I had enough sense, you know, street sense in there by this time to know that you trying to slick get out the way with me. But mm. I didn't I didn't Understood. see that you know, I didn't feed into what he was saying. I just silenced myself, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just talk to my sister when she get here or whatever. And um, so when I got there, I was like, no, I mean, I mean, what's the problem? You said, I mean, I hadn't spoke to neither one of them over the weekend, so then when she comes in, I'm like, why is he telling me to be best if I got my own place? And then she was like, yeah, it will be, if you, it will be best if you got your own place. So that was the next major blow. Oh, and... At that time, my ego, I don't know what you want to call it, my pride, ego, everything was, like, in my throat. And I was like, you know what, I will not be defeated. I'm gone. You know, didn't know where I was going, but I'm gone. Let me call my mom. Let me make a couple of phone calls, and I'm out of here. So um, I called my mom, and she was like, well, baby, I don't have any money to get you back here. Let's call your cousin and see if, you know, what they can do there, and and that story kind of like, oh, um, I went to living with strangers um, that recently got out of prison. Um, yeah, a series of events just started happening, which I mentioned in the book. Okay, well, so what was the like I say the defining moment where? you took your power back and said, okay, enough of life happening to me. It's time for me to make some changes to make my life better. The defining moment, um, Valencia, everything started to unfold, but my main, my main um, unspoken goal was to, get my own place to so I wouldn't feel obligated or vulnerable that I could be put out again. So I guess that was around 1994, maybe about four four years later when I had got some footing. And at that point, I just began to work, um, go to school, work, um, and I felt that I took my power back at that point because um, the decision-making process, those crossroads that I talk about, um, was solely up to me, hmm. you know, and, and, and how I, the attitude that I had behind it. So I always try to just look, do, don't, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, don't be distracted by anything else. It's enough of a distraction. And just to focus on basic necessities first, because, see, I was still young. Food, right. shelter, and clothing. Food, shelter, and clothing, you know. <clears throat> so you're basically your about survival. You know, you went right. on survival mode with tunnel vision. So why did right. you decide to mentor teenage girls? And I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about your organization, so tell us about your, your organization. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I was on a trip to, well, I had a series of different jobs. First of all, let me go back there. I had a series of different jobs when I was on, had the tunnel vision. 
And one day, I just had this epiphany. I, I just know there is much more to life. I have so much to give. So I just cried out to God, and I just asked him to show me my purpose. I just, Lord, show me what you put me here on earth to do. And I lay down uh, soon after, and I woke up with a dream of activities, and I saw placards with, like, do not gossip, no cell phones. Um, And then I saw uh, rules of... um, I saw G five G G the letter G and then P H I and then G like glorify God. Um, I saw like a schedule <clears throat> of activities, and I said, okay. I wrote that. I wrote that down. I wrote that down. I had it in the notebook, and then I went to Vegas with this guy, and I was uh, sitting next to this lady, and and I was uh, pondering on what I'm going to do when I get back home, and all of a sudden she just said it out the blue. I don't know what she was saying, but I. I took it to where God was speaking to me because she said, it's with the children. And then I had mm. just recently had their dream. So then I put it together. I was like, okay, yes, wherever your weakness is, that's where your strength lies. I was like, okay, between the ages of 10 and 15. So, um, and during that period, I was going through a spiritual, a spiritual walk to cleansing, and I was reading different books like um, The Road Less Travel by Dr. Uh, Scott Peck. I was reading um, Anyala Van Zandt in the meantime, and and those books kind of like built my psyche, built my um, uh, spirit, my soul, um, and and I read the Prayer of Jabez book, and that book gave me enlightened my uh, my mind so much. I mean, I thought I could fly at doing that time. Everything was just Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, I started my nonprofit organization. I met a uh, a gentleman that I worked with closely with or whatever, and I told him about the dream and the vision that I had. He helped me with my application and everything, and I had um, filled out my uh, nonprofit paperwork and got it within, like, 60 days. I was 501c3. And that's how you became the visionary and the leader <clears throat> well, or the, the of Jabez Girls. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Awesome, awesome. So the title of your chapter in transition is called The Survival Game. The Survival Game. Okay. Well, did you have any Last, any any tips or anything you would like to leave the audience with? I do. Um, no matter what you've gone through or will continue to go through, um, I have learned to count it all as joy because I believe mm-hmm. that God wants nothing but his best. For us, and if we can just hold on and keep our eyes on Him, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, this too shall pass. And God is a rewarder for those who seek Him. And and also, I'm learning still right now to be obedient. So, hmm. if you're going the wrong way, <clears throat> stop. <laughs> 
turn around and, you know, start to go the right way. And um, God got you. I just say keep your head up, mm-hmm. keep one foot in front of the other, and keep moving. Like that little old lady say, just keep on keeping on, baby. <laughs> yes, just indeed. On, love it, on. love it. So, Shawana, how can the audience connect with you and get a copy of Transition? Um, I can be contacted through uh, my my Yahoo email address, which is S-H-A-W-O-N-I-A-T-H-M-S at yahoo.com. Or I'm also on LinkedIn um, as Shawana Thomas. Um, those two those two methods <clears throat> are the quickest way to get in contact with me. Okay. And guys, I will make sure that all of her information is posted on the show notes and on the Define You Radio's Facebook page. Well, Miss Thomas, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Define You Radio. Congrats on being a new best-selling author. Yay! Make sure, yay! I know, huh? <laughs> Make sure you guys um, tune in next week for another exciting episode of Define You Radio. If you enjoyed today's session. Stay connected by subscribing to the show on iTunes and Google Play. And then, of course, on Facebook at Define You Radio and Define You Movement. Tonight's quote is from Maya Angelou, or Angelo, depending on how you pronounce it. Surviving is important, but thriving is elegant. With that being said, guys, pens and papers down. Thank you again, Ms. Thomas. Class is officially over. Thank you.